It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. So very good to have you here, my friends. Thank you so much. Hope that you uh, you had uh, a fantastic weekend. Um, some of you guys know that uh, I occasionally hang out with uh, my pal um, Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, Franco Colombo. Uh, so Franco Colombo and Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, you know, basically uh, came over here about the same time. So Arnold came over first, and then a few months later, maybe a year later, he brought Franco over, and they've been like best buds uh, for for many years, going on like. I think like 55 years or something. Anyway, Franco, bless his heart, passed away, um, I think it was Saturday. Um, anyway, um, he was 78 years old and a very sweet, funny guy. I, I did a, a video with him on my YouTube channel. You can go to youtube.com forward slash Bert Martinez. And um, this guy was one of the original strong men and just a very inspirational guy to a lot of people. He could take a hot water bottle, if you will, and blow it up like a balloon and then actually explode it. He would put so much pressure, so much air, he had that kind of capacity where he could do these strong men feet, right? Um, I think that his his uh, deadlift was somewhere in the 700 pound range, um, and he's uh, he's been in a few movies, um, and, and uh, uh, you know he's, he's fairly I think famous for uh, in, in the movie Pumping Iron. You see him lifting a car uh, that was wedged in between two cars, um, and then. Uh, one of the most interesting things that he did uh, is that uh, he was in a race with Lou Ferrigno, if you will. And this race, uh, you had to put a refrigerator on the back, uh, carry it on the back of you. And, uh, anyway, so, and, and then, of course, you're trying to run or walk as fast as you can. He ended up twisting his knee. And it was uh, a very very horrific type accident, and they told him that he'd probably never use that knee again. Well, Franco is, uh, uh, you know, a nutritionist, uh, knows a lot about biomechanics, he's a chiropractor, and basically within a year, he was able to completely rehab that knee, and, and I think he even ended up winning the, uh, uh, the Olympia that year. Uh, so uh, just an incredible guy. And just going to miss him. Uh, it's one of those things where he uh, died doing some swimming. I, don't, I haven't gotten all the details. Um, and uh, he was swimming out in his homeland of uh, Sardinia, uh, which is uh, uh, out there in Italy. And um, he became ill um, and... Uh, Ended up dying. Uh, ended up uh, they, they life flighted him to a heli uh, to a hospital, and uh, he did not make it. Something happened, 
And um, again, I haven't gotten the details, but uh, just a quick tribute to my friend Franco Colombo. Uh, he will be missed. And he's also a kind of cool individual uh, just to uh, see how somebody can overcome shortcomings. And, and I'll, give you, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. So Franco's a, a very short guy, and he was born bow-legged. Uh, and when you look at his pictures on the internet, you don't notice that he's bow-legged because he built his muscles and was able to compensate for his bow-leggedness. And, and, you know, and if you look closely, you can see him a little bit, but overall, you know, to the casual observer, you would never know that this guy was bow-legged. And, and so he just did all these tremendous things, right? And uh, just, you know, would overcome obstacles and, just a, a funny guy, super funny guy, uh, very smart, and uh, like I said, he'll be uh, totally missed by uh, by many people. And um, anyway, usually I do a quote of the day here, but instead I did a short tribute to my friend Franco Colombo, um, and uh, wish him and his you know wish his family, his wife, and his daughter uh, peace at this time. All right, let's get this party started. Uh, on the show today, Frank uh, Fumi. Frank Fumi is a pioneer in the youth sports industry and the founder of I9 Sports, the nation's first and leading franchiser of youth leagues and camps. Since 2003, I9 has generated over $300 million with more than 2 million participants in 900 communities across 30 states. Frank Fumi, welcome to Money for Lunch. Bert, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. And uh, my condolences to, uh, to Franco's family. That was uh, quite a tribute. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so, so I want to talk about this because I am blown away uh, that, uh, you know, your, your company, I9 Sports, has generated, uh, again, $300 million in, you know, roughly a very short amount of time. So, Walk, walk me, uh, walk me through this. You're sitting around and you're thinking, "Hey, we got to do this I nine sports." What was the catalyst, or what was the situation that made you know that gave you this aha moment, if you will? Well, the catalyst was at the time back in the uh, early '90s. I was in medical sales and in in New York, where I, where I was born and raised, and I, I was so unfulfilled selling medical equipment. And I used to play softball on the weekends, adult men's softball, with my college buddies. And I loved playing softball so much. I didn't think that there was a, uh, an industry involved, uh, an industry for softball. And, but I noticed that the leagues that were out there had been around two, three decades. They, they'd been around such a long time. And I knew how much money we were paying to play in these sports leagues. So the more I kind of sniffed around, the more I kind of figured out that the guys that were running softball leagues, these private individuals that would rent fields from the parks and recreation departments and schools, they were making money doing this, but they were doing it in such a disorganized fashion. And I realized that as I learned more and more about it, we were in such a fragmented industry that these guys that were running sports leagues were not running it in a professional manner where here I am in medical sales calling on the chief of open heart surgery, NYU Medical Center, and I've got – I've got these skills of how to interact with people and how to provide outstanding customer service. And I thought, well, maybe if I ran a league and I provided the same kind of service, maybe I'd be on to something. So I started running a softball league, 
Um, I chipped away at getting fields. It was awfully difficult, but I did start chipping away just out of sheer persistence, and I started running my adult men's softball league. A few years later, I learned that the NFL was offering kids flag football programs into communities as a way as an outreach program, and I thought, oh my gosh, I've got to I've got to look into this. I think this is something really fascinating because youth sports to me, where I grew up playing sports, and so many of us did. I thought we there really might be a great angle here, and lo and behold, I started running youth flag football leagues. I got um, I used the skills that I had from running my adult men leagues, softball league, and uh, I quickly applied those skills, and we got a couple of hundred kids, then 600 kids, and then I realized, hey, we're on to something here. Back in this is back in around 2001. I need to expand this, and my wife and I decided to franchise the concept. And uh, kind of that's a, a very quick version of how we how we got to where we are. It was through franchising. Yeah, yeah, and you know it just blows me away that um, nobody had really thought about this before. Because you're absolutely right. Anybody that has experienced any kind of league. I, I don't care whether it's adult leagues or peewee leagues or pony, whatever you want to call it. A lot of them are very much disorganized. It's like it, it's complete chaos sometimes. And, and part of that is because uh, people aren't running it like a business and, you know, they, they, they um, rely on volunteers that, you know, show up or don't show up or, you know, all that other stuff. And, and so, I'm just fascinated by what you guys are doing, and and it just it just blows me away. Well, that's uh, thanks. That, that's the thing. It's sort of like you remember you, you would talk to people and say, "Well, tell me about the kid in you know, the league that your kid's playing in, and uh, how's the soccer league?" And inevitably, you get the same response. The parent would roll their eyes and go, "Well, it's okay. You know, it's yeah. volunteers. It's." You know, it's disorganized. We don't always know where the game is going to be. They move the schedule all the time. The ref doesn't show up. They don't give awards. And that's just not acceptable. It, isn't it interesting that we found it acceptable back in, you know, not too many years ago, we found that acceptable. Yet in any other business, if you went to a restaurant and got poor service or you went to a dry cleaner and they they ruined your uh, your clothes, you would never go back. Yet in youth sports, you would just say, oh, well, you would just kind of give them an excuse. And I thought, you know what, there, this fragmented industry, has, there's a great opportunity here, and this needs to come to an end. And um, i, I got to be honest with you, in the early days before I even franchised, I would get Entrepreneur Magazine every single month. I'd flip towards the back to see franchise opportunities. So I'd have so much anxiety to see if there was somebody there that had was going to beat me to it. I knew there was something here. <laughs> and I don't know why I had this thing about being first, but maybe it was the competitive nature of me. But I knew that this was something that there was a great opportunity. And I've heard Richard Branson say that his favorite industries are, you know, fragmented industries. And that's the thing about youth sports back in the day is that it was a fragmented industry and we took hold of it. Yeah, no. And that is brilliant. Uh, and I think what happens is or what was happening is parents don't have much of a choice either your kid plays in this mediocre league or they don't play at all and the thing about kids is that they don't care you know for the most part they want to get out there and play ball play sports whatever it is and so the fact that it's not a hundred percent 
you know, whatever, copacetic, it's, it's, it's not running smoothly, they could care less about that. That's an adult issue because, you know, bottom line is you give uh, kids an opportunity to play, they're going to play. And, and so, uh, but I think that for adults, my experience, kind of like what you're talking about, is like, well, it's either this or nothing. And right, there's a, right. There's plenty of leagues out there, but they were all about the same. And we had to do something a little bit different. It wasn't about just about saying, "Hey, we're going to be organized and provide great customer service." We had to do something different. So we had to appeal to what the market wanted, and that is, just as you said, Bert, kids want to have fun, right? They want to just play. Kids want to have fun. We want, the parent wants the kid to be safe, yet it needs to be convenient. And that's another issue in our uh, in the market is that they would have five days a week of practice leading up to the big game, and that doesn't fit in our crazy busy schedule. So that's why our practices and games were on the same day, which really helped because kids can practice, learn the skills, and then implement it immediately thereafter. Right. And it's not an additional day. I love that idea. It's you know, it, it's a, it's, it might be a longer quote time, but I'd much rather know that, hey, on Wednesday they have practice and then there's a game versus we're going to practice on Tuesday and the game is, you know, whatever, Thursday or Friday. And it's like you said, it's, it's not always uh, easy. So uh, for, for those who are joining us and, and want to find out more, they can go to i9sports.com. Is that correct? Yep, that's the website, and uh, you can get all the information. Just plug in their zip code, and they'll find a, a program near them. There's an, over 900, progr- 900 uh, programs throughout the U.S. Wow, that's incredible. That's incredible. All right, so so I want to talk about uh, a little bit is the startup. So uh, did you start there in your own community? How did you launch it? Talk about that. Yeah, so I did launch it locally. I first here in the Tampa Bay area where I started running my first flag football league. Ideally for a franchise and the concept, it would be to stay in start in your community and then expand sort of in a regional locate in a regional um type of expansion. For us though, our concept is is so that it we don't really benefit from having a location um so uh, you know 20 miles away or 50 miles away so where you see most restaurant franchise expansion. So we decided right after we franchised our concept here locally to open it up nationwide. And we the thing that was most important to us was making sure it was in outstanding markets, demographic that looks similar to our market that we knew we had success in here in the Tampa Bay area. So as you can probably imagine, most of our franchises did come in the start in the Florida area just because of the familiarity that people had sure. with our with our programs. But it then quickly expanded throughout um, from coast to coast. Yeah, I love that. Uh, yeah, and that again, that makes sense because not only not only are they you know there's that buzz, but they can come and easily see uh, the the concept working. It makes a lot of sense to start there. Um, and what? Because it seems it sounds to me like you thought franchising this industry is the way to go. Why did you immediately go towards franchising versus you know, doing each city yourself. 
<laughs> That's a great question. Maybe it kind of goes back to that beginning where I was looking at the back of Entrepreneur Magazine to see who, if somebody was going to beat me. I knew that there was a great market out there, and the right. advantage of franchising is the use of other people's capital and to expand quicker. And I also knew that if I could, if if folks had skin in the game, that they were going to do a much better job. So franchising gave me all those advantages: use of capital, quicker to quicker to expand. Have skin in the game. I knew there would be better leverage of having great staffing by having it each independently franchi- – uh, franchisees each independently right. owned and operated. Um, so it allowed me – that that was the, probably the biggest thing. Now, there are drawbacks too. Franchising is not for everybody. You have to remember that when you're franchising your concept that there are – the folks that are buying your franchise, they're entrepreneurs themselves. And there has to be a delicate balance between franchisor and franchisee where there are systems and processes – but you do give up a little bit of control when you're a franchisor. So that's the downside, I'd say, to, uh, to franchising. If you're a control freak, it might not be uh, your best way to expand. Sure. Well, but I do like you know, what you were thinking there because there is a certain – what's the word I'm looking for? Prestige, certain uh, – there's cashiers for sure with franchising, sure. Well, no, what I was going to say was there's a certain amount of power when you're the first in the market. And, and if you're typically what happens, if you're the first in the market, you tend to, you know, if you do it right, you, you tend to be the leader in that market and people cr- gravitate towards you. You know, um, every now and then you'll see somebody who's first in the market, but they can't hold on to the position. Um you know, uh, what do you call it? I, I, I'm thinking of like um, uh, M- M- MP3 players. Sony was first in the market, but Apple crushed it eventually, you know. But so, you know, being first in the market and is, I think, very important. It adds to the, the power. It helps you sell because you can say, hey, we're, we're the only ones in this market that are doing this. That gives you a certain level of leadership and a certain level, a uh, certain level of, uh, of, uh, you know, like I said, panache that people are going to say, well, yeah, if I'm going to get into a franchise, being the first in the industry or the first in the city, uh, that, that's, that's a smart move for a lot of people. That absolutely helped. Here's the thing. I went to a, um, uh, an entrepreneur organization conference back in 08, and I heard Simon Sinek talk for the first time. It was before his, before his first book came out, and he talked about right. the power of why. We knew our power of why. We knew our why. We knew we were in business of helping kids succeed in life through sports. We knew our core values were fun, safe, and convenient. And the leagues that we were competing with, the local mom-and-pop leagues, they didn't have their strong enough why. They didn't know why they were really in business other than providing a service. Right. That's what I think, as you're saying, about being first is one thing. But to really know why you're doing what you do, just like Apple knew that the iPod was a thousand songs in your pocket, whereas Sony just thought an MP3 player is the alternative to those bulky cassette players. We knew our way. Right. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and I think I think for a lot of people, again, their why you know was hey, I want to help kids. I like you know youth sports, and I'm going to do this on a on a part time basis. And again, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's it's you know, like all of us, we're already busy. And if all of a sudden you're adding something else and, and sometimes these things take a life of their own and, and they just can't afford to put more time into it and all this other stuff. And I think that uh, what's really funny to me 
is that I've seen this over and over again. People, you know, it's, it's a mindset. It, it, it's an, I, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, a self-esteem or a mindset issue where somebody says, hey, well, you know, uh, nobody is willing to pay more than X, Y, Z for this price, uh, for this product or for this service. And then somebody will roll in and be able to deliver better customer service, more reliable, um, what do you call it, service, and people are running to them and paying twice as much. You see this over and over again. I mean, it's, it's, it's people sometimes think that the price is so important and they forget that, you know, price isn't the only thing. But doesn't price come only down to value? I'm only willing to pay where I see there's enough value. Of course, yeah. I think part of it is confidence. If you're not confident enough in what you're selling, your product or service, that sometimes that ends up dictating your price rather than knowing what the market will bear. I mean, yeah. let's face it. When we first started our league, we couldn't just go charging uh, more than everybody else. We had to prove that we were a quality program. But as our leagues grew and we got we got great reviews from people – we were seeing that we were providing more and more value. In fact, we did a, a survey to parents. This goes back, and uh, gosh, we were only a few years into franchising. We did a survey to parents and asked them that very question of, do you feel, um, what level of value are you feeling, uh, do you feel you're getting for your money? Is it below, uh, you know, you feel like you're paying too much, too little, just about right for the amount of value you're getting? And we were getting over two-thirds of our survey results came back that people felt they were getting more value than what they were paying. Wow. That's always good. That was, that we, was sort of a sign to us that, you know what, we need to raise our price and have confidence in it. That, this was at the point where our franchisees were not comfortable raising their price beyond, beyond $99 of registration. And the recommendation was go to 125 And this is back in 2005. Today, the average registration, I think, is about 140 ish I could be wrong. could be a little bit lower. Right. I think it's about 140. Uh, but again, it goes back to, are you providing value? And this isn't just coming down to, hey, we want to raise the prices and make as much money as we can. This is about providing the most value that we feel that we can provide and that customers are willing to pay. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because it's always about that. Look, you can go to Neiman Marcus and buy a pair of socks for $100 or you can go to Walmart and buy almost the same pair of socks for whatever, five bucks. There are people who will not go any place but Neiman Marcus because they feel the value is there, right? They, they know that if they have any issue, they can go to any counter in that store and say, hey, these socks aren't working out, and it'll be taken care of. And, of course, we all know that if you buy something at Walmart – you have one counter to go to, and sometimes there's a huge line, and and it's you know it's not an easy transaction, right? It's it's mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, you know, but but again, it's the value, and I love the fact that you brought up its value, uh, not necessarily the price. Uh, okay, let's talk about this. Um, how you know do you overcome self-limiting beliefs that might have creeped up as you're building this company. <laughs> wow, don't we all have self-limiting beliefs? For me, the, I'll tell you the way that I broke through my self-limiting beliefs and still continue to do so through the, to this day is going be a, be a student of uh 
anything you get your hands on, uh, listening to podcasts, reading books. My favorite are personal development seminars. I'm a huge fan of Tony Robbins. I've been to all of his events. I've gone to his program since 1999. Uh, going to a Tony event as, such as Unleash the Power Within or even better for uh, business folks listening, Business Mastery, I cannot recommend it enough. Going to a Tony program really helped me break through so many limiting beliefs where uh, you know we all have those those creeps uh, those uh, beliefs that creep in to think that we're not good enough uh, the fear of rejection the fear of failure sometimes even the fear of success um, yes. it's it's common for everybody so you're not, definitely not alone that's why you really need to be around other folks whether it's go to a Tony Robbins event or find a peer group entrepreneur organization uh, or YPO is another great one but being around other people is key yeah absolutely absolutely uh I, I, I totally agree. I mean, first of all, uh, I, I do myself enjoy going to a Tony Robbins event. And, and I tell you what I like most about my experience at a Tony Robbins event is that if you have studied, read, however you want to phrase that, Tony Robbins, uh, he doesn't have that much new content at uh, at his you know, business mastery or the uh, uh, what's the 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 first the, what's the beginner yeah, level thing? Yeah, UPW unleash the power. UP, within. Yeah, unleash the power within. The content, if you if you again study Tony Robbins, the content will not be that different. Mm-hmm. However, the exercises that go along with that content are priceless. You know, they they really cement everything. And one of the things that blew me away at my first uh, Unleash the Power Within is I already had a uh, somewhat of a good understanding of what anchoring is. And for those, again, who are not familiar with anchoring, uh, look it up. It's an NLP type thing. And, and we all have anchors. These are things that trigger our memory or trigger our feelings. It could be a song. It could be a smell. It could be positive or negative. Anyway, so I was, I was already, I thought, fairly good with my anchoring until I went to the Un- uh, Unleash the Power Within and saw the way he did anchoring there, and it was a completely different experience. It was, it was like night and day. It was um, being able to see how he executed that It was – to me, again, a, a priceless event. I forgot how much I paid for the event, and it's like a two- or three-day event. But to me, that, again, speaking of value, the value that I got from the anchoring sequence or anchoring exercise more than paid me back for my trip, my hotel, the value, you know, the, what, I, what I invested in the tickets, and that's the thing that I tell people when they go to Tony Robbins is that, yeah, you might've read a book. Yeah. You might've heard some audios or some videos or whatever. It's still worth going because it's, you know, back to what Tony says, it's about mastery, right? It's, it's not about yeah. doing a thousand things. It's about doing five or six things really, really well. And mastery is key. And so if you're into mastery, then you'll go. 
Absolutely. The key for me in 2015, uh, I went to Business Mastery because I kind of felt like I was starting to feel like I lost, was losing my mojo with my business. Um, I didn't want to come to terms that my vision for the business was complete because I was starting to feel a little bit guilty that this was my – I thought this was my purpose in life and this was my baby. Right. And I went to Business Mastery, and Tony at one point said uh, – he said this. He said, success without fulfillment is ultimate failure. Yes, and it stopped me dead in my tracks. And then he said, "Listen, if you don't have, if you don't have passion for what you do, if you, if, if maybe it's time to move on, because you owe it to yourself, you owe it to your business." And I love i nine sports. I'm always going to be the founder, but for me, the vision for the business was complete, and I came to terms that it was time for me to sort of move on. And I ended up selling the majority interest in my company. Um, in the, over the past few years, and I first did an ESOP, and then I uh, sold it to a private equity firm. And that had, would never have happened had I not gone to Tony's event to see that through because I was starting to feel this incredible amount of guilt that, oh, my gosh, this business is my purpose. And I realized that your purpose in life is about being fulfilled and your missions evolve. And I-9 Sports was nothing more than a step to what's going to happen next in my life. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I you know, a lot of people don't know this, uh, but Tony Robbins owns, I think, like a hundred different companies, right? So he, he owns still a bunch. does. <laughs> yeah. What's that? Yes, he owns a bunch for sure. Now he owns a bunch, and 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 some of them are well known. Uh, Twin Labs, and I forgot he he's got a bunch of them, and and so he'll talk about that. He'll talk about you know buying part of this or buying the whole thing. And but that he still loves doing the seminars and the seminars is what gives him the most fulfillment, even though he doesn't have to do it, even though, you know, he's got enough money where he could disappear. But it is about fulfillment. It is about, uh, you know, doing whatever. And I love the fact that you brought this thing up about you got to the point where you felt as though your vision for I-9 Sports had been fulfilled had been completed and it was time to, you know, let somebody take over. And what's nice about this, I think that a lot of people get trapped into, I built this company, this is my company, and they start losing their mojo like you're talking about. They start losing that fulfillment and then they th that that lack of energy starts to What's the word? Spread through the company, yeah, and, sure. and 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 it kills the company. And, and so my point being to all this is that if you're listening to our conversation and maybe the vision for your company is complete, maybe it's time to step back. Maybe it's time for you to do something else. Maybe it's it's there's some kind of evolution that your company needs to experience without you. Because again, like you said, I'm always going to be the founder of I Nine Sports, but. I've, I've fulfilled what I wanted to fulfill. Now it's time for me to go someplace else because I think that's also part of fulfillment. It, it, you know, we are meant to uh, expand continually, and not it's not always about money. Sometimes it's about experiences. Sometimes it's about mental growth. Sometimes it's about spiritual growth or relationship growth. But we are constantly getting, uh, you know, bigger and better. That is part of our fulfillment. Mm -hmm. I, I absolutely agree with that. I thought my ultimate purpose in life was when I started my adult men's softball league on Long Island. To me, that was like the greatest thing in the world. 
And then after I had created that, and then I realized, wait a minute, we've got to go into youth sports and then franchise. Then to me, it was like, oh, no, I was wrong. I-9 sports was my purpose in life. And then I go through the last 16, 17 years, and then I get to the past few years, and I realize, gosh, this company is its humming along. I've got an outstanding management team and franchisee base. The baby doesn't need me anymore the way it used to. The baby had grown right. up. It got married. It had kids. <laughs> I can actually love this business as a loving grandparent, be a minority shareholder, be on the board of directors, and let the company continue to grow and go to my next purpose in life, which I just recently wrote my very first book. It, outlined, it goes through this, this journey of all I went through, a lot of my Tony Robbins experience, and it goes through a lot of the how do you get past being burned out and feeling lonely at the top and uh, this entrepreneurial identity crisis because to me, my next purpose is how do I help entrepreneurs – getting through where they are stuck in their business because it's all about the psychology, I believe. It is, it is. And so since you brought that up, I want to ask you this, uh, this question about executive burnout. Uh, you know, what are, you know, how do you go about identifying the signs of mental and physical overload? Uh, talk about this. So for me, I definitely experienced burnout where I would, as much as I love the business, I would go through periods where I would take extended vacation, I'd come back, and I would still dread it. Or I would take mm. you know, extra days off, and I still dreaded it. And it wasn't that I didn't love the company. It was that I, my brain was fried. I knew that I needed to do something about it. And to me, there was, I think, several steps I had to take. One, I had to recognize that my business and me were not one and the same. So I had this identity crisis where if the business was going so well – I was in a good mood. If the business had a problem, I had a problem. I was in a bad mood. And I came to this realization that, wait a minute, my business and I are two completely separate entities. But you can see how this happens, Bert, right? Because you start your business yeah. out. You spend so many hours doing it. And because of that, you become intertwined. So I had to have that separation that, wait a minute, I am bigger than my company, but my company is also bigger than me. So separating myself out from it was number one. Number two, I had to hire somebody to finally take the burden off of me. I hired a president, COO of my company, who complemented my weaknesses, somebody who I knew who he was out, he's outstanding in building relationships with and implementing systems and processes that um, – where I was much more the visionary. Um, the next thing is to find a group of people that you can feed off their energy. So whether it's, again, being part of EO or YPO or going to Tony events, I needed to start being around a peer group to get through this burnout of other people that have gone through it. Um, and, and, and also just keep to learning and adapting to things, making sure that you're, when you make mistakes, it's okay and move on from it. And then finally, for me, as it turns out, recognizing when – hey, sometimes it's time to move on. Um, I started experiencing burnout a little bit in the later 2000s, but look, I stuck with the company for almost a decade um, and got through it. I survived it, you know, went through it back and forth, but making sure that you implement these little changes I think will help uh, overcome anybody that's experiencing burnout. Yeah, and you know what? I, uh, I, I want to apologize, Frank, because uh, the book, Running With My Head Down, an entrepreneur story of passion, perseverance, and purpose was not in my notes. I don't know how that happened, but uh, so um, uh, so so again, I want to give out this book again, and I'm going to put it in the show notes. Running with my head down, an entrepreneur story of passion, perseverance, and purpose 
what I'd like to do, Frank, because we took a lot of time talking about, you know, your company and starting up and things of that nature. And I think that was useful. But I, what I'd like to do is bring you back specifically so we can talk about running with your head down and really sure. do a deep dive for the book, uh, because that way, uh, you know, people will, I think, will get more value. So, so let's do that. Let's plan on having you back so we can talk about the book and really do a deep dive. That would be awesome. Appreciate it. That would be great, Frank. Thank you so much for being here today. I've learned so much. And, uh, again, thanks so much for stopping by and sharing. Thanks, Bert. Have a great day. All righty. Good stuff there from Frank Fume, uh, Fume, Frank Fume. And the company, for those who have youth, uh, you can go to i9sports.com, i9sports.com. Or uh, if you want to check out his book, I'm going to put the link in the show notes as well. You can go to Amazon. Running with my head down, an entrepreneur story of passion, perseverance, and purpose. And I can't wait to have Frank Fumi back to talk about his book and really do a deep dive on his experience, his entrepreneur story. Because ultimately, the story is what inspires us. And, and uh, as you go through your life story, you're, you realize some of the points that you can share with people, some of the chapters, if you will, that maybe. Uh, were painful at that time, but became ultimately your best teacher. As always, my friends, let's share this episode with everyone we know. Let's help as many people as we can understand their business, understand when it's time to uh, move on to the next thing. And as always, my friend, remember you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch and check out our website at moneyforlunch.com.